0: Aches, pains, questions about anything to do with your health, that's what we are covering each and every show here. And if, uh, you know, if you're a little bashful, you don't want to get on the air, you can always uh, contact uh, Dr. Lou after the show anyway. He mentioned that number there or info at paincarecanada.com. You want to toss him an email and uh, have a chat uh, and not on the air, but we'd love to get you uh, calling in this afternoon. Uh, lots, lots of stuff to get through as we do every show, uh, Doctor. But first, we start with the week that was. Yep. Yeah?
1: Yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, last week, we had a ton of calls come through the lines, and I even stayed back a little bit after the show and took Mm -hmm. some more calls. And during the week, actually, a lot of people followed up with us. And one of the things that I really wanted to highlight uh, more from a general perspective is that uh, we offer these free consultations and I've been able to have free consultations with people nice. uh, calling in and just getting some advice. And yeah, some people have turned into patients that have actually gone to one of our clinics. And then other people, it's just a simple piece of advice and they're on their way and they get better. And we've been following up with people so that way we can determine are things actually getting better? Are you getting the nice. care that you need? Because that's the whole point of what I want to do is be able to actually help people. So I'm here to, once again, highlight the fact that I'm available throughout the week at the one 55 doctor Lude number. People can give me a call. I'll get back to them within 24 hours. We can have a quick discussion, even if they want to come into my clinic, uh, book an appointment with me, a free consultation. Takes about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the worst thing that you're going to get is some good advice is the right. way I look at cool. it. So, So that's a good thing.
0: So what cool stuff happened this week?
1: Uh, One of the bigger things that I've been noticing a lot, and I seem to notice this in practice when the weather tends to change, and we've discussed this before, is referral patterns. Uh, So a lot of people coming in with pain in a certain area, not necessarily being caused by that area. So the example could be, you know, I had a patient this week who had uh, pain in their upper right shoulder. And again, the referral pattern of the diaphragm lower down. So when you're not able to really understand referral patterns, and oftentimes these people are getting treated at the. Area of the symptom, which is not a bad idea to start when you actually think sure. about it. But this is where an educated professional who understands the body very well can look at it and say, okay, what could be the potential causes creating this symptom that I'm seeing? And yes, it's important to consider that it could be that same area, it could have been the right shoulder. But then as you go through it and you start to determine, okay, the right shoulder seems fine. So where else can pain come from to the right shoulder? And that's when understanding referral patterns like from the diaphragm or the gallbladder, and you start to to look at these other things, where you're like, okay, well, let's make sure it's not a gallbladder issue or a liver issue, and let's treat the diaphragm, and people are getting better because. And these referral patterns can go a very long way. I actually had another patient who was complaining of pain uh, at the side of her knee on the left side, right. uh, and it ended up being a trigger point in her quadratus lumborum, which is a muscle in the the uh, the low back that also attaches to the psoas, which is a hip flexor. Yep. And so we treated that area of her body, and it got that knee referral pattern totally better i didn't even work on her knee so it was really important to distinguish that i could tell by her symptoms as she was describing it to me that it didn't seem like a knee issue Uh, it really seemed like it was an issue coming from elsewhere and so you know again understanding referral patterns i was able to understand quadratus lumborum so as have that typical referral pattern you go in and it's very simple to test for this stuff stuff you poke on that muscle and if the patient's uh, complaint intensifies in that area, then you know you're dealing with a referral pattern. Then you treat that, and I was able to treat that with acupuncture and some active release therapies, and patient got 100% better. She's very active, uh, so these are things that do tend to be more common in active individuals.
0: It's pretty wild that the start of the journey can be here, but then the end point's a completely different part of the body as far as pain's concerned.
1: Right? Yeah, and, and I've talked about this a lot, uh, and you know most people kind of understand this but the body's all related. You know, you can't look at the foot and say that that's different from the knee, that's different from the hip. There's, there's a constant link between everything. In fact, there's something called fascial links, which are ways that fascia is a covering of the muscle. And yes, there's individual muscles, but fascia tends to overlap into different areas. And it kind of creates a fascial network throughout the body. So you can cr- track actually some fascial links all the way from the neck down to the feet. So that shows you that it's clearly related. It's like we were
0: kids and knee bones connected to the you know that whole That's thing, right? right? It's Same type of thing. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell is the number. Wide open lines. Uh, Lou. Good afternoon. How are you?
2: Hey. Good. How are you guys?
0: Good, pal. What's going on?
2: Good. Good. Uh, okay. It's a nagging, uh, like a dull ache, uh, the upper uh, left side of the back, almost underneath the shoulder blade. Okay. Uh, I went to get x-rays from the family doctor, and his just, his broad explanation was his arthritis, uh, and there's nothing you can do. Uh, I got a, like, I got my chiropractor to kind of read the uh, x-ray results, and he really explained it. He said there's a bit maybe of uh, degeneration in the disc. But anyways, is there anything I gotta do just for the daily, like, I don't want to, I don't want to pop pills every day and just to kind of numb it other than mobility or anything like that like is there anything that you could suggest yeah i
1: mean the bigger thing comes down to and this is kind of an excuse that's often used by professionals is they'll take an x-ray or some type of imaging And they'll use the findings on imaging to explain the person's symptoms. And those two things don't always correlate. So there's actually Mm. good evidence looking at uh, x-rays for the low back. And what the basic finding is, is that it's a 50-50 correlation. So if we took 100 people and we x-rayed their backs, 50% of those people would have some type of degenerative change just because that's aging of the skeleton. It's gray hair of the skeleton not the same 50 people would necessarily have pain so when you look at imaging there needs to be a correlation between what you see on the image and what the person's complaint is um and so when i look at when i hear uh lou saying something like this where the pain is kind of uh in the left side of the back just below the shoulder blade that's not really where you would necessarily expect something like a degenerative type of pain to cause any type of symptom, and this could be a good case. And, again, I can't be 100% sure because Lou's not here in front of me. I can't examine him. Uh, But this could be a good case of a referral pattern. Sometimes referral patterns actually lower down in the back Uh, can cause referral patterns up higher in the back, similar to what he's describing, or even somewhere in the Neck? neck. We talked about this last week with the long thoracic nerve that comes down that way along the scapula, that there's an issue that could be caused, and if it's created in the neck, you might be feeling pain in the shoulder blade, but not necessarily created at the shoulder blade. So... Uh, Lou, this is a good example of my free consultation. Give me a call. We can actually discuss this a little bit further so that we can uh, really divulge into what it is and try to figure it out. And then I can make a better recommendation in terms of what are the things day-to-day that you can do. Because again, over the air like this, I can't be 100% sure yeah, that it's can... I know,
2: I know. Like I find doing a bit of like, uh, they suggested to do some uh, uh, lightweight work it does help, but it's very like, it helps maybe for that day, maybe a day and a half, and right.
1: then it kind of creeps back. Do so. you find that your pain is better once you get going and moving around? Yeah,
2: if I'm moving around, it's way less
1: okay and that, uh, that comes, usually it, when when yeah. people describe that type of response to movement it usually indicates a muscular issue so this is a good example that it may not necessarily be a bone and what ends up happening with muscles is when they're tense uh they tend to create pain but as sure. you get moving around they loosen up and they get better and that's very characteristic of muscle complaints is that it's better once people get going
0: go to info at com as well if you want to. Email uh, Dr. Lou here. You know, the last call Lou was talking about, and you talked a little more about that pain, the referral pain and what it could be, right?
1: Yeah, another, another aspect of uh, Lou's call that I found very interesting was the part where he said that he's been recommended to do exercises and he'll do those mm-hmm. things, and it does tend to feel better. One of the hardest things that... I- I think myself and most people dealing with pain face is that people assume that pain is something that you have and you should be able to get rid of instantaneously. It's much easier to accept in health that, you know, for example, if you get diagnosed with diabetes, that that's something that you have to manage for the rest of your life. Not too many people wake up and say, you know, well, I take my metformin and it seems to be great, but if I don't take it, it's not so great. That's kind of the reality. That's why the medication exists. The unfortunate reality, and I hate to break the news to everybody, but pain and most injuries function the same way, especially as we get older and, and those things that have happened previously tend to come back and haunt us. The reality is that a lot of these things are management issues. So it's never you know and this is where you have to speak with someone and understand their clinical case but oftentimes you're never looking to get a hundred percent better without any exacerbation of that pain Mm because the reality is the research supports that if you hurt an area of your body once you're likely to hurt it again and the more times you hurt it the more likely it is to get worse as you continue to hurt it so your body now has a weak point and you have to do these things so when lou was talking about yeah i do my exercises but it's only good for a few days that sometimes is the reality sometimes that's you have to keep up with those exercises that exercise is equivalent to that metformin for your diabetes you got right. to do it in order to stay healthy there's very few times and it's actually consistent around most of healthcare that there's ever a true cure in which that you can do something it eliminates the problem and it never comes back again the reality of healthcare is most of healthcare including pain management is management the word is in the term pain management we manage right. people's pain
0: it's amazing and it goes back to something you said way back in the, in the first show we ever did that mobility for uh, for the most part is better than immobility keep the, keep the body moving Absolutely. Posture is having no posture.
1: Yeah, I'm a big proponent of that. Uh, We have a corporate wellness division where we also go into a lot of different workplaces. And, you know, we do things from lunch and learns all the way to ergonomic assessments. And my ergonomic assessment is always you got to get up and move. I'll look at people's desks. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely make recommendations on where they could be more optimal. But my biggest recommendation where I really try to hit home with people and make them understand that the only way for you to really eliminate an issue is you got to get moving every 20 minutes. Every 20 minutes, you have to change what you're doing because we are dynamic creatures. That's what we were designed for. Nice. You have to be able to move around.
0: 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell is the number. Something you also said I thought was really interesting in the uh, first segment where we just uh, just got on here, to, here today was the, you can look at diagnostic imaging and x-ray, and then you look at pain, and they're not always cohesive. Have you ever come across, you know, say an x-ray, an MRI saying, man, this guy... I look at this. This guy should be in tons of pain, but he's not. How do how do you how do you figure out the problem?
1: Yeah, no, there's been tons of times. There's been times actually where I'm confident that I'm gonna send someone for some type of imaging yeah. and I'm gonna see something. And then, you know, the low back, I'm thinking, okay, this person's gotta be riddled with degenerative changes and I'll send them for an X ray. This you know, I've had I can remember a sixty year old man once that was complaining of really bad low back pain. And I'm thinking, okay, sixty years old, it's not gonna be unlikely that there's some and again, mm-hmm. degeneration is normal, but it's normal to a certain extent. That's why it's graded in different ways. And I'm thinking for sure we're gonna see a lot of degenerative changes here sure enough goes for the x-ray comes back looks like he's 20 years old if you looked at his x-ray his x-ray looked better than my x-rays of my low back but yet he's got more pain than i do uh and so yeah it tends to happen both ways even the other way like you mentioned where you look at somebody's x-ray and you think oh wow but and a lot of the times you're not really sending for x-ray if there's not an indication but sometimes we'll send people say for a hip x-ray right and you get a portion of the low back in it And you'll notice the low back and you think, wow, that low back looks really bad in terms of degenerative changes. Meanwhile, they're here talking to us about, you know, hip pain. And so you're thinking, you know, I'm surprised that his low back is what's not bothering him. But that's the reality that clinicians this is the this is the what i always talk about clinical acumen is the word that i use this acumen is the ability for a clinician to use all the tools and come to a cohesive picture together mm-hmm. so yes imaging could be important blood work could be important but you have to look at all those things in relation to the patient that's why radiologists send back their results to the family doctor or to whomever right. referred for it because they don't have the full clinical picture they're given one quick sentence uh, trauma to the low back that's all that they yep. know they're are not making the final diagnosis. That's why they send it back, because they understand this needs to be related back to the clinical picture. 416-870-6400,
0: star 640 on cell. Good afternoon. Joe, how are you?
2: Good, gentleman. How are you? What Good. is
0: going
1: on with you?
2: Well, three months ago, I was diagnosed, I guess, with a tennis elbow. I'm not exactly aware how I got it or what I did to actually strain it. Now, it's on my right side, and I'm obviously right-hand dominant. Now, the initial course of therapy I was given was an anti-inflammatory plus physio. But it's still, I don't feel that like it's always 100%, especially when I make a fist. And now when I just touch actually the bone part of my elbow, it feels like there's actual trauma to the bone when there's no trauma to the best of my knowledge. So I guess my main question is, is this uh, something that I'm going to have to deal with for, you know, I guess for the rest of my life per se, or can I expect to get... Uh, you know, a better course of therapy that will make it, I guess, per- permanently go away. I'm 42 years old, so I guess a lot of kind of that, like, yeah. like to say. So, I just wanted to get your input on
1: that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've actually had a few calls, and I believe we had a similar call last week yep. about tennis elbow, and I went into some detail about the actual pathology of what happens with tennis elbow, and and uh, the medical term is epicondylitis. Uh, and so, if it's medial, it's called. Uh, uh, golfer's elbow and if it's lateral it's called tennis elbow and so these are just the layman's terms for it uh but epicondylitis suggests that at the epicondyle which is a piece of the bone there's inflammation and that used to be the thinking about this pathology for a very long time that's why joe was prescribed anti-inflammatories the unfortunate part about why it's why it's still lingering is because the most up-to-date research actually looks at this from a microscopic level and determines there's no real inflammation actually going on what you actually have is an epicondyle and that term osis just means pain Uh, and so what's happening with the epicondylosis is there's no actual inflammation going on but that bone uh, that muscle to tendon to bone transition that happens Mm -hmm. on a histological level what happens is there starts to be changes in the actual histology the actual cell makeup and so where there should be probably more Um, tendon type of cells you would find more bone types of cells and that's where he's describing it starts to feel like there's trauma in that area is because the it's actually changing what needs to happen in those situations is you need somebody to actually create micro trauma to break that area up again almost creating the injury again in order for it to heal properly so i would say joe give us a call it's not the end of the line and that is actually something that could be helped with if it's treated right with that type of approach
0: back we go to uh chris hi chris Hello. How are you? Good, sir. What's going
2: on? Uh, well, I've got uh, pain in my uh, left knee, and it's been there for about uh, probably the past uh, almost a year now. Okay. And uh, it's quite it's uh, it's it's quite uh, painful.
1: Okay. Uh, have you done anything out? Like, have you had it checked out at all, Chris? Well, or
2: I'm, I'm in the process of looking for another doctor because mine had a heart attack, and he's uh, taken less clients now. So mm-hmm. they've uh, they've uh, so I'm looking. I've gone through. Uh, Service Ontario to find another doctor.
1: Okay. How old are you, Chris?
2: I'm 56.
1: Okay. And where exactly in the knee does it hurt? Can you try to be specific? Like, is it around the kneecap? Is it above the kneecap, behind the knee?
2: It's behind the knee.
1: Behind the knee. Okay. Uh, Any swelling or bruising that's ever visible? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things when you... Anytime you hear something like swelling, uh, you're always your first thought and especially in someone of Chris's age see the one thing where imaging does matter with degenerative changes the one place that's very unique in the body is actually the knee so as the knee starts to degenerate and you start to lose that disc space what ends up happening is that the synovial fluid inside the disc mm-hmm. can sometimes start to leak out so that's usually indicates that there's an internal problem some type of what we would call internal derangement of the knee whether it could be the meniscus uh, or whether that's a tear or just an inflammation of the meniscus, but definitely based on what I'm hearing, Chris, the first thing, and that's on my, what I'm hearing in a limited fashion, I would already start to think meniscus. Uh, When I hear the back of the knee, the other thing you can start to think of is uh, Baker cysts. So these are cysts that are formed by that fluid that actually leak out and they create a little bit of a cyst and that will create pain. Um, And those cysts can actually be worked on by some type of a therapist. Doesn't necessarily need to be surgery in order to get rid of them. Uh, and the other thing that's often forgotten about the knee is there's this one muscle in the back of the knee called the popliteus, which is uh, the locking muscle of the knee. So when you stand up straight, your knee locks. It's that muscle that causes that. It's one of the most important muscles in the knee, and it often can go into spasm. So that could be another cause of, of the pain. So I'm either thinking could be something like a meniscus issue, could be something like a Baker's cyst, or it could be a popliteus syndrome is what we would call it. But Chris, I definitely think that when you're dealing with something like that, the reality is, is going to your family doctor... Is probably, and this is a big, actually, in a few weeks, we're gonna have an MPP from uh, Queen's Park on who's Mm -hmm. uh, the conservative health critic and he's also um, a pharmacist. And one of the things that I, when I was at Queen's Park last week talking to some of the MPPs, was having people educated on what they can actually do that would increase their plan of management and increase the likelihood that they get better so i know you've been waiting for your family doctor chris in all likelihood that family doctor is probably just going to send you for an x-ray not going to come up with much information this is where someone like a chiropractor is probably better suited or a physiotherapist someone who has specific knowledge in the anatomy of the body and can make that diagnosis without having to go around that all that other stuff uh, and get you the treatment that you need right away and that's you know, again, that's give us a call at the one 55 doctor Lou number. We can definitely help set you up with someone who can take a look at this and definitely get it treated because it doesn't sound like you've had any treatment. And already, when I hear that, having any treatment is going to make a big difference for sure.
2: Well, I thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I'll look into that okay. and I'll uh, certainly... Uh, uh, keep all that in mind okay awesome
0: chris at number one eight five 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 dr lou and we'll get to uh, another one here before a uh, before our break Yvette. hello
3: hi how are you
0: good excellent how are you you got a question or concern for dr lou
3: well i do actually um i suffer from degenerative degenerative disc disease Mm -hmm. um at the upper region okay and i've also got fibromyalgia and severe osteoarthritis in my lower back okay um, I'm finding that it's getting more and more difficult for me to stand for more than about five minutes. Okay. Without my back getting extremely weak. Hmm. Um. And even walking's the same thing. Uh, sometimes it seems like it travels to the hip, actual hip joints. Okay. The legs almost don't feel like they're attached. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a weird <laughs> if, feeling.
3: You understand what I'm trying to say? They're they're sore. Mm-hmm. Um, I take Advil. I take uh, Tylenol. None of it really helps.
1: Okay. How long ago were you diagnosed with the fibromyalgia? Uh,
3: 2000.
1: Oh, we lost her. Oh. I didn't hang up on her.
0: She uh, Call call us back, oh. vet if you can. We'll uh, we'll take a quick break. Hopefully you can call us back again. Pain, concerns, something uh, long-term, short-term, just discovered it, need diagnosis. Want more information on the fly? Yvette, look at you. You got through again. Love it. How are you? Oh,
3: great again. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so as we were. And we're back. Uh, continuing, where uh, you're, uh, what you're going to say?
1: I was asking Yvette uh, when she was diagnosed with yes. fibromyalgia, and I heard 2000, and, and then it died. <laughs>
3: 2004.
1: 2004. Oh, okay. W- anything yeah. leading up to that? Any type of trauma? Anything more that you can tell me around that diagnosis of
3: fibromyalgia? Um, I'd been in a car accident. Okay. uh Two nine uh, in the year 2000. Okay. and suffered severe back injuries um, in the thoracic, the lumbar, and the cervical.
1: Okay, and I'm assuming you've had a lot of treatment throughout the last decade. Yeah,
3: they, they gave me a lot, but none of it ever seemed to help.
1: Okay, yeah, well, and we touched on this as well last week about fibromyalgia, and it's kind of... Unfortunately, a wastebasket term that uh, the medical profession that we tend to use when we look at a patient, and in the absence of anything else, like something that's autoimmune in nature uh, or anything neurological in nature, we have this term called fibromyalgia, and we've made a diagnosis out of it. uh, You know, and we won't get into the politics of why we make things diagnoses, but fibromyalgia just means pain in the fibers and muscles of the body that's all Mm -hmm. it means and so really what it is is it's chronic pain uh, related to the body in every single place and it's not uncommon uh, to hear patients such as yourself Yvette that have fibromyalgia and have the widespread, widespread chronic pain and tend to have pain all over their body The biggest thing that I can tell you when it comes to fibromyalgia and when you've exhausted all the options from a physical perspective and from a medical perspective, and we've touched on this before, is touching on the psychological aspect. Because again, going back to the psychological interpretation of pain and its creation in the body, if you don't target that aspect of what's going on, it's very hard to ever get better in cases like chronic pain or fibromyalgia. Have you done any type of... Uh, psychological intervention
3: uh, related to pain management, Yvette? Um I have done that in the past, and again, got absolutely nowhere. How long uh, did you do it for? About a year,
1: okay. almost. Yeah. yeah. See, you know, the one thing with this type of stuff is when I talk to people, when I see chronic pain patients, and I try to tell them, You have to do everything right at the same time. That's the hard thing about chronic pain is you have to be doing therapy. You have to be doing cognitive behavior therapy. You have to be eating right. You have to be exercising. There's so much involved in get because it's so complex it therefore needs a very complex answer in order to get it better uh yvette it's a complicated issue uh it's definitely something that uh i have a lot of knowledge about and i have a team in place that can definitely help so again give me a call for that free consultation where we can uh actually talk about this a little further and i can get to understand it a little bit better and go a little more uh in depth into the history of the complaint so that i can give you some better recommendations
3: okay that would be awesome okay
1: that really
0: appreciate you calling back. Have a, a fantastic day. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Got some open lines happening. John, welcome to the show. How are you?
4: I'm pretty
2: good. Yourself?
0: Good. What? Uh, what's your concern?
2: Um, I herniated my L5
0: and
1: S1 discs when I was 15, which is okay. great. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, How old are you
1: now, John? I'm 26.
2: Okay um it never fully healed uh the doctors that origin or my doctor originally um didn't for about six months didn't pay much attention to it um he thought i was just trying to, to get pills out of him
4: okay.
2: uh ended up in the hospital because uh, my leg ended up going numb was off work for really for quite a long time it's been a constant kind of up and down struggle mm-hmm. it's never fully um fully gotten better um and i'm just wondering aside from core strengthening massage therapy and said, is there anything that I can do long-term to try and uh, to minimize uh, the pain and the damage? I'm also I'm in a pretty physical line of work, okay. so it's not like I'm helping myself in that regard. Right, right.
1: It's actually interesting that you bring this up because I had a patient uh, this week with almost a, a very, very similar history to yourself. One of the things with disc herniations is the body will tend to break down. So something like a disc herniation happens at a weak point. And going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show with fascial links, one of the keys when I look at people that have had a breakdown in a certain area that I guess I've failed to mention thus far uh, since we've been doing the show is something that I do call the functional assessment. So this person that I had had a, um, a disc herniation on the left side Uh, and was causing the typical disc herniation Mm -hmm. symptoms of the sciatica down the leg. One of the things that I was able to identify when I started looking at the fascial link, because I started thinking, well, why did that area break down? Why did the injury happen there? So I started looking into a gait analysis and looking at his hip and his ankle range of motion and movement. And I was able to find that actually the majority of his problem was coming from his... um, from his hip so basically what we did and he had been seeing other people who had been treating the disc herniation going back to you treat what you think is the The squarely on the back I have focused all my treatment on his hip and this he's been living with this problem for I believe it was about two years and wasn't getting any real improvement with the typical type of treatment for disc herniations he wasn't you know in any exacerbated state so at least he was able to function but he had that chronic low level ache that he couldn't get rid of and I have focused my treatments solely on treating his hip and he's already improved by 80% and his no pain's kidding. almost gone. So for someone like you, John, and the reason why I thought about it was also because of the age, when it happens at 15, when something happens that young, it really tells you that there's an area of stress in your body that's not being identified because it, you would think it would be more common to see it later on in life. But once you start seeing it that early, it really identifies that there must be something functional going on that's really creating an area of weakness in the body. And so assessing the function of other related parts and it It may be the hip it may be the knee it may be the ankle it may be the upper back it usually will start lower down it usually doesn't tend to be higher up higher up so I'm thinking something like the hip or ankle but definitely getting those things assessed uh, and if you give us a call you come in for that consultation we can actually do that uh, and determine okay this may be something you know coming from your hip or from your ankle and we treat those things and it may give you the improvement that you've failed to have I guess in the last decade okay okay yeah, definitely. Thanks. Okay, John, thanks.
0: John, that number is one eight five 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 Dr. Lou, you need to email, get some more information, info at com. Let's talk a, bit, a little bit because it's come up, what, three or four ca- phone calls so far, and you and I were just chatting about it before the mics went on, and
1: that is causes, common causes of uh, low back pain because that's a big bowl of fun right there. Yeah, for sure. Low back pain, every time I explain it, it's funny when I have patients that come in and say, you know, I was at my family doctor or I was somewhere else, and they told me that I have low back pain. Mm -hmm. It's like... Okay, yeah. that, that's great. That's a symptom. That's the equivalent of someone telling you you have a fever. Now you have to determine right. what's causing the fever. So when you look at low back pain, it falls on a spectrum. And the way I always look at the spectrum is you're looking at the very benign treatable issues, like if it's a muscle or a joint, all the way to the very malignant and potentially life-threatening things like a tumor or whatever. And obviously those more serious things are very, very rare, Uh, and much more common are the benign side of the spectrum. But there's so many different things that can cause low back pain that that's why you need someone who actually understands the low back pain. When they've done research on this, they actually find that family doctors, and next week we'll actually have a surgeon on the show, uh, and he'll speak to this as well about uh, the the lack of training that... family doctors have in this, and they realize it themselves. That's why they Mm -hmm. refer to other people. Uh, They realize the limited knowledge that they have on such a complicated area. When you actually look at it, you know, the back, I would argue is as complicated as the mouth and we have a whole separate profession dedicated to that called dentistry right, right? so uh, and and I know chiropractic is really trying to move towards spinal healthcare experts I know at the chiropractic college where I teach that's where we want to go in the future to be the dentist of the low back and the neck and really help with all those spinal complaints uh, but the reality is you need someone who can look at it understand all the potential causes of the pain and determine okay where on this spectrum is this person falling and then the the type of treatment that falls into to the pathology really depends on what the problem is obviously Mm -hmm. if you have someone who has a tumor well they're going to go for surgery get it removed and go through that route versus if it's on the benign side oftentimes the person who's assessing you uh, properly can also treat you on that side
0: do you find uh percentage-wise low back pain is a little more common than upper back pain
1: yep for sure uh low back pain is probably the most common followed by neck pain followed by mid back pain and it's very simple when you actually understand uh when you actually look at anatomy why that's the yeah, case this, this
0: i find never thought about it yeah it's so the reason
1: say. why is two things in the low back where it's very common is if we stripped away your body and we looked at the skeleton it's actually there's nothing there except the spine so you have it's the there. rib cage and then you have the hips so it's just an area holding it up yep. plus you have all the weight of the upper body falling on top of that area. So that's why it's very common to have injuries. And that's why it's second most common in the neck, because again, the neck is very similar to the low back. There's nothing there except muscles and the, the big head. head, but the head is much lighter than the whole body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mid-back problems tend to be the less common because of the rib cages there so it creates an inherent type of structural stability that's not common in the neck and in the low back so low back neck mid-back is usually and low back is not just the most common in terms of the spinal related complaints i believe it's the third most common um Pathology that people experience in their lives. I think only next to the common cold. It might be two or three. I can't remember the wow. exact stats. I know for time missed off work, it's second to the cold. So when employers look at why people miss uh, time from work, it's often low back pain, only second to the common cold. 416-870-6400,
0: star 640 on cell newly. How are you?
1: Not too bad. How are you doing, gentlemen? Let Good. me
0: guess, back pain. <laughs>
1: yeah. How about that? Uh, See, I, I told you I, it was second most common. Right? <laughs> uh, I feel like everybody else then. yeah. Tell us more. Um,
4: I have an upper back problem. Oh. It's probably right where my diaphragm is if you drew kind of a straight line. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you run your fingers down my spine on the left side and on the right side, mm-hmm. on the left side, there's a lump on one of the vertebrae.
1: On the left side. Okay.
4: And it's not soft. It's hard, but it, I mean, when the pain starts, it kind of takes your breath away. Okay. Um, I talked to my doctor about it, and he basically said it's probably a cyst, and nobody's going to do anything about it.
1: <laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, the reality is, number one, when he says it's probably a cyst, in order to really determine that, you have to kind of get some type of imaging, some type of an ultrasound to actually look at if it's a cyst right anytime you see yep. one side where there's a lump you start to consider a few different things like you just mentioned could be something a growth of some type like a cyst one of the other things that can cause the humping on one side is scoliosis uh what happens in the back uh scoliosis is a bend in the spine there's something in the back it's called a coupling motion so when you develop some type of a bend there's a, a lateral bend component and also a rotation component and when that vertebrae vertebrae rotates the tvp which is one of the bones on the side actually starts to hump towards the skin and so people will feel that and think that they have a growth but all it really is is a mild scoliosis causing a little bit of rotation of the spine causing that bony part of the vertebrae to be more prominent uh so yeah, newly. Definitely. Uh, that might be worth the consultation in the office. No charge. You come in. We take a look at it. I can definitely give you a better idea. Uh, and you know what? If it is assist, although your family doctor thinks no one will do anything about it, people on my team if uh, if the way surgeons will look at this stuff mm-hmm. is if it's not causing a problem we're gonna leave it if it is causing a problem and it's causing you pain well then that's a different story we'll go further man. yeah then then okay. it's a matter of assessing it and determining uh anytime you go into something like surgery and again we'll have a surgeon on next week who will talk about this stuff but risk versus benefit so if the risk is very little but the benefit is going to be great in terms of eliminating potentially your pain then it might be worth it if it's not then you know that's a conversation to be had and to be determined
0: newly it is one eight five 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 dr lou d-r-l-o-u very simple number to call one eight five 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 dr lou and we'll get uh to mark here before the break hey mark hi how you doing guys good what's happening um, I, uh, just wanted to get your take on inversion tables since you're talking about backs. I've yep. got, uh, kind of, you know, off and on lower back stiffness, soreness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just got one a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. uh, tried it out. And actually the second time I was on it, it felt like, uh, I was opening a can of beer or something, yep. uh, you know, just a pop and a fizz and I feel a lot better.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So it's, it's a complicated answer. Uh, with inversion tables for some people it's great and for some people it's not great. So it really see the problem with all these um, home care devices is that People then become their own doctors, and that means they start to prescribe their own dosage of how much they b- should be doing something. And that's the reality with over the counter medication as much as it is with inversion tables. That's where problems get created when people don't actually understand dose and response of things. And so, yes, inversion tables can be very beneficial, but I think they're much more beneficial when its recommendation is from a professional that actually gives you an outline on how you should be using it. Because the reality is, people such as yourself get one. They use it. They have. It's totally new. Most things that are new to the body will feel good in the beginning. That's right. just the reality. We've talked about adaptation. So it'll tend to feel good. And because it feels good, you'll start to do it more and more often. And as you do it more and more often, that adaptation starts to, to take into an effect. And then what ends up happening is you end up hurting yourself more than you were prior to having that inversion table. Uh, So it's not necessarily that the inversion table itself is bad, but sometimes it's overuse by someone who has very little knowledge about its actual indication is what creates the problem. So and I'm not suggesting that that's you, Mark. You may have done all your research and you may have gotten the right advice. But that's my Mm -hmm. opinion on most home care devices, devices such as inversion tables, is that there needs to be proper dose response management on that, and oftentimes the general public doesn't know what that is. Frank, good
0: afternoon, Frank.
1: Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Good. What's going on? Well,
4: back in 04, I ended up having to have uh, uh, sorry uh, 09, I had to have the knee replacement surgery uh, a couple of years ago. Got major infection in the in the knee, and they so had to do a, a multi stage revision and then go back in and change the liner. Wow. And uh, I've got maybe about 10 to 15% uh, range of motion with it, so I'm trying to figure out what to do there. But I'm also in chronic pain with it. I've mm-hmm. been through uh, lidocaine infusions, you know, with the ketamine and stuff like that through pain clinics and Tylenol 3s and everything else. And I'm a professional driver, and I'm just at my wit's end with the, mm-hmm. trying to deal with the pain aspects of it.
1: Yeah, uh, Frank, that's, that's a, a heck of a of a type of a scenario it's obviously very rare uh but unfortunately it did happen to you and and obviously you know your outcome now is is very poor in terms of what you've been suffering with um the reality is something that's that complicated probably needs a little bit more attention paid to it in terms of uh, actually speaking to me personally and getting a little bit of information about it one of the things that i can tell you is that the orthopedic surgeon that's on next week primarily does knee surgery. So he may be a good person uh, to actually to listen to that show and get some information around that. But definitely the complicating issue of the infection and then having to have it revised and then, uh, you know, the limited uh, function that exists after it. One of the things... You know, I mean, I don't know how much therapy you've done and and it may be worth a shot. But when you look at the knee, there's a lot of things that attach to the knee, including, you know, the quad, the hamstrings and also the calf muscles. So sometimes working on those uh, more distal aspects of the knee can have a tremendous effect. Uh, effect on the actual function of the knee itself. So in the absence of, you know, being able to do anything for that knee, you may want to get someone to look at the upper leg and the lower leg and the surrounding muscles and maybe trying to do some therapy around those things.
4: Yeah, they, they, when, after I had the, uh, the revision surgery done, I went through like about six to eight months, uh, intensive, uh, therapy on it. And, I still don't have any of the range of motion. I, you know, I have. I'm now looking I'm going to have to get uh, a special shoemate to the left because my heel is about uh, three to six inches off the ground.
1: Oh wow! You yeah. know, so
4: I can't. I can't even stand straight. I can't do anything. So I've, I'm looking to go get a third opinion to see what they can do to try and
1: break up the scar well you know what frank that you movie. can also get a fourth opinion with me through that yeah. consultation right it's going to be worth it again this is it's yeah. very complicated I'd, I'd actually i'm interested in, in actually seeing it to understand uh exactly yeah. what you're I, talking about i but left
4: my i left my name my my phone number with your screener we got Perfect.
1: it yeah okay awesome
4: yeah so, so yeah, yeah i'd love to get in touch with you
1: and yeah. i'll follow up with you this week personally you. and uh and we'll try to get you in and uh, and have a look at it for sure.
0: And uh, you know, just in the meantime, if you if you lose it, Frank, one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou is the number. I wonder if a matter of time when something like that, now the other knee is going to start bugging him because he favors it, right? That's common, right?
1: Uh, yeah, compensation of the other side of the body is a big deal when right. you look at injuries because oftentimes, as and I see it all the time, it's it's it makes it harder to treat people because people are coming in and they have right shoulder pain, whether it's, you know, frozen shoulder or something, or they have a right knee complaint, and then you're treating that area and it's getting better and they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, you know what, that's getting better, but my other side is starting to bug me and it's a compensation, right? If you can't use your left shoulder, you therefore have to use your right shoulder, and if it's uncomfortable to put a lot of weight on your right knee, you'll start to, uh, you know, move a lot of that weight towards the left knee, and so compensation pain is a big deal and any good practitioner is going to make advice on uh, trying to minimize that effect i know with my patients uh, at our clinics and my whole staff we try to make those recommendations in terms of what can you do to avoid this going to other parts of the body uh and also treating it if it does start to occur never you should never have someone tell you well that's a separate issue and we'll deal with that when this gets better no 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 it's not a separate issue and it should be dealt with as it's happening
0: it's fun being a bipedal life form, isn't it? Stand up in two legs. Good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll take it for another week. In the meantime, yeah, this is a number you should have it at you all times 1 855 55 Dr. Lou. 1 855 55 D R L O U. And info at paincarecanada.com. We are back next weekend, of course, with more of the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640.